Hi, and welcome to Night Clerk Radio. This is episode 31, a bit of YouTube spring cleaning in the world of dark ambient. <laughs> Thank you so much for the positive feedback on Synthwave and Future Funk. These are episodes available on our Patreon, our bonus episodes that we have made so far. So if you're not a subscriber on our Patreon, if you sign up today, you can get access to both episodes and find out our thoughts on Synthwave and Future Funk. And we are currently working on research and all that other good stuff for lo-fi. We're going to be talking about lo-fi hip-hop, the rise of the 24-7 work-study relax streams, which seems contradictory to work or study. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) A bit of microtonal this, microtonal that. Just that girl with the headphones forever writing in the notebook. She has to be done at some point. Uh, Yeah, Hopefully. Must have gone to med school or something. One must imagine Sisyphus happy at his labor. Something, something Camus. (laughs) But yeah. In this episode, we're going to be looking at music that has been recommended by the algorithm. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, the algorithm controls a lot these days. It monitors our actions and recommends what to do next. And Bandcamp, once you buy an album, you get email notifications for uh, new releases from that artist. And for YouTube, that means once you start listening to Cryo Chamber or any other dark mm. ambient, other albums begin to infect your recommendations. Just forever. Yeah. No escape. No escape. So Burke and I both now have some overlap in our recommendations. And uh, we're looking at uh, not just two, but three artists, one of which we have covered before, uh, who we've covered before, and uh, the other two are new. Because I've wanted to talk about some of these artists for a while now. Yeah. It's interesting because two of them I had never heard of. And then the third, I didn't realize that I had heard of mm-hmm. because it's dark ambient, which we'll talk about. So it's endless side projects. But there's sort of an interesting theme in that all this stuff is very soundscapey. Like it's more atmospheric than some of the other ambient we've discussed, like mm-hmm. the Lynch stuff or Miles to Midnight, stuff like that. So yeah, uh, I probably also have some thoughts on soundscapes that'll come out while we're talking. Oh, for sure. I think that's sort of a major theme. So yeah, let's talk about uh, about our first artist. That is a section from Kaiju Sarcophagus from. Oh, of course you picked Kaiju. Sorry. <laughs> uh, from Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse. This is a mix available on YouTube. And Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse has shown up uh, in my recommends for a while, ever since I started listening to Cryo Chamber, really. And they're an artist that does uh, is very drone slash soundscape focused. They do have a band camp with a lot of albums, but they also have a lot of mixes. And I think Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse is interesting to talk about because one thing, 
you know, the medium is the message, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, a good case study in that because artists now not only have to be artists, they also have to be marketers and they also have to be like SEO experts. SEO, if you're not familiar, is search engine optimization. And the idea is certain keywords and certain things you can do to the the content you put up online will make it easier for people to find. How you time it, how you mm-hmm. tag it. Yeah, like when you when you post it and that kind of thing. The thing with uh, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse is they also do like these eight to 11 hour mega mixes uh, of these soundscapes. This has become like a whole genre on YouTube. 10 hours of this, 10 hours of the Enterprise's engines, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 hours of uh, uh, rain sounds, 10 hours of lawnmower sounds, you know, like uh, a lot of like what you could, I guess, could be called white noise or sort of comforting background sounds. But yeah. this has also then led to music mixes, you know, 10 hours of this type of music. So Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse also uses a lot of uh, the way the, the cover art and the imagery and the text and the titles like Kaiju Sarcophagus. Boy, that's an evocative title. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the image is this very ominous sort of landscape kind of imagery for the cover art. You know, I've talked about uh, before about this being sort of like a very I'm not super into drone. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to go through. We didn't specify specific albums or makes it too much. Yeah, there's too much there. Like I said, there's a lot of albums. There's a lot of works. They're very prolific. What are your thoughts? So this is the first one that I had not really heard of. And to me, it's fine, I guess. Like, I don't want to be like the point of this podcast is to not be super negative because like don't want to be mean to other people making their art. But it's all I don't get it. I guess it's all very samey. I think the theming is part of that SEO you were talking about where like Chernobyl's popular. So make a compilation that's called Nuclear Winter mm-hmm. and hope that you get people looking for Chernobyl or King of the Monsters is out. Mm-hmm. Make a kaiju. Call it kaiju so people find it. <laughs> because there's not a lot of differentiation. Like, even even when people joke about Dark Ambient, like, oh, it's all the same. All this cryo chamber stuff is the same, which mm-hmm. is not quite true. It all feels like it's not really musically connected to the theme or the title that it portrays. Yeah. Which is a little bit of a disconnect for me. And it's weird because it's, it's perfectly fine soundscape stuff. I think if I was doing a lot of, like spooky writing or something it would be great to have on in the background Mm -hmm. it's very evocative in that sense but it's kind of weird as like just these eight hour projects Mm -hmm. about in some sense nothing yeah to me like as a listener we'll talk about this in the other two projects but there's just there's that little extra mile in like attention to detail when someone's really honing an hour long or 45 minute long album that they're really invested in i Mm -hmm. i think and that just comes across for me it's interesting you brought up writing because he actually mentions this. I found an interview with Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse that he did in 2019. And he does mention, I think ambient music is particularly good for writing because writing requires a lot of focus and precision. And if music is too forceful, it can hamper that. But I get comments from coders and such negative comments about the music not being attention getting enough. But I think that's because a lot of people don't understand the purpose of ambient music. Hmm. They are deliberately doing this. This is kind of the point, you know. The interview also goes in a little bit about uh, their process. Uh, they use ambient granulation software and techniques such as slowing sound down, using reverse reverberation and adding subtle distortions and low fidelity effects, and then adding a few more sounds to make it more interesting. 
And so it's a very mechanical and unintuitive process. Hmm. He likes to use the random or procedurally generated aspects of the program to determine the flow of the composition much of the time, which kind of makes sense because, yeah, if you're making a 10 hour thing, boy, you can't really. OK, OK, yeah. then I will temper my previous comments because I do think that's interesting as like an artistic creation tool where I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I'll be a little less harsh on it. I still think the main point stands is that I would listen to this as like background soundscape for writing, mm -hmm. but I don't think I'm ever going to seek it out in the same way that I get excited about other dark ambient artists yeah. that I, I really like. It doesn't grab me like uh, Miles to Midnight did, for example. Yeah. Which I think another aspect of that is, since so much of it's procedural, I do miss, and I was thinking about that in all these albums, but I do miss a real instrument. Mm -hmm. I'd really come to appreciate between the dark jazz and, you know, Miles to Midnight, like you said, I really actually do miss like a little bit of live drums and, and horns. Mm -hmm. A little bit goes a long way, but it, it's nice to have something that is not, it's not like, oh, synth synthesizers and that, that's fake. <laughs> it's not real music, but like variety is the spice of life. Yeah. Again, the monotony of it eventually it gets to be a bit wearing. So yeah, if you want to have some sort of large long soundscape you know if you hey if you're the kind of person who falls asleep to dark ambient man this is uh fucking <laughs> i love that again i love <laughs> i'm just gonna read some of these titles because they're so good mega structures in a dead world eight hours mm -hmm. and 21 minutes passing through the gates <laughs> of saturn it wears a human face and that one see that's another very clearly seo focused one because that was released last year during the height of the among us craze and like the cover art is like a creepy little astronaut, dude. So, yeah. So another track that you have in your notes is Dead Dreamer Tapes. Mm -hmm. Was that picked for any uh, particular reason? Um, well, because he said he was lo-fi dark ambient. I wanted to see what mm. how that was different from the other ambient he was doing. And uh, it's also the name of Legati uh, novels. So he often he names oh, the stuff okay. after Lovecraft and Legati and these other sort of big SEO terms, for lack of a better term, that people, you know, into dark ambient are going to look for. And I guess that's the thing is like artists are shaping their their art to fit something that will get noticed, that will get seen. And so that's why we're seeing 10 hour mixes of a, a spooky astronaut because of the Among Us fad from last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're no longer seeing artists doing things focused so much on the album as a unit of work. But, you know, just having good songs to put in a playlist or a mix or a stream or a 10 hour mix of their own work just to, you know, someone can just put that on as background listen, uh, listening. So I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just this is just the way art changes with the times. And this is how art is changing. Yeah. now. No, I think it's it's really interesting. And there's so much out there that I think somebody looking for this type of, of background soundscape is Sure to find something that they want to listen to. Oh, sure. Just by sheer volume. Mm -hmm. And again, Kaiju Sarcophagus is such an evocative. It's such a cool title. I kind of want to make like a dungeon <laughs> crawl where you're going through a Kaiju Sarcophagus. Um, it's just this massive, you know, structure with this uh, dead Kaiju. Or is it dead? Mummy Kaiju. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be sweet. <laughs> Anyways, we should probably move on. Now you write that down. We're going to move on.
So that was a sample from our second project we're talking about. The track is Seraph 2, about halfway through, on the album Seraphim by How to Disappear Completely, which is an album that is this, like, it's not really dark ambient. You know, as you have pointed out, they haven't identified as dark ambient. They're more like, I think they describe themselves as, like, nocturnal post-rock. Mm-hmm. It's um, very dreamscape It still soundscapes, but everything, not in a way that I'm being critical of it, but it all kind of sounds like that sample, where it's mm-hmm. these ethereal, experimental drone synths, but not quite as droney yeah. as Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse. Oh, no, no, and no. There's no, still no. more structure, like, choir comes in and out. There's more variety in the synths. Yeah. It still feels similar because it's kind of all constructed as one track. If you listen to it gapless, mm-hmm. it all flows mm-hmm. concretely. I really like this type of stuff. I call it sleepscape also. Like it is in the most complimentary way possible music to peacefully fall asleep to. It's un- unbelievably soothing. Yeah. And th- and th- that is by design. That's kind of uh, like I listened to bits of their other albums. They have like 32 albums on their band camp right now. Ooh, wow. Yeah. This album is a coda to a previous project, the Mir de Revs series, a three album set of minimalist ambient sleep music. And uh, Seraphim is no different in this regard. Yeah, I would say this is a this is a very lush kind of soundscape. It's very mm-hmm. smooth and there's no harshness to it unlike iron cthulhu apocalypse it sort of comes at you in waves like gentle synth sounds lapping at your ears an extended soundtrack to calmness and this is a polish collective Mm -hmm. and they record live so this this album was like a hour 39 minutes something like that altogether it's a very long album yeah but they record live to two inch tape this is on their band camp and they compose with a yamaha dx7 tape loops Processed, reprocessed guitars, found sounds, voice, and loads of old and heavily worn out VHS tapes. Wow. There's a special thanks to Bruce for giving us 499 tapes. (laughs) But I can't really, like, (laughs) you can't really identify most of that. Like, it Mm -hmm. it all, they all turn into this, like, again, lush is the word that comes to mind. There's this this sort of very mellow, ethereal, yeah, dream music, sleep music. That's sort of their whole bag. They know what they're about. And uh, this is music to to fall asleep to, which is kind of they're not really taking advantage of YouTube because like if anyone should have like a 10 hour mix on YouTube, it should be them. Right. Like this is like Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse is a little if you're falling asleep to that, you're probably going to have some weird, unpleasant dreams Uh, (laughs) because, you know, it's just like radio static and harsh sounds and weird buzzing and like droning. And that as opposed to this, which is like the ambient and ambient. Yeah. And I think. This is a really appropriate one to listen to mm-hmm. after Iron Cthulhu mm-hmm. because this is an example. It's almost the perfect counterexample for this episode where it's, like you said, it's repetitive. Mm-hmm. It's very, you know, air quotes, samey, but there's that like extra something in the production that just makes it a little more impactful than any of the Cthulhu Apocalypse compilations I listen to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is. Because maybe in terms of actual, you know, literal quantifiable complexity of the audio project in their DAW or whatever, maybe it's not. But it's just that, I don't know. I don't know if it's the procedural aspect of Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse or, or what. Because I think I also like that you pointed out that Seraphim is totally consistent. It doesn't do any of the dark ambient stuff where, like, 
Oh, it's it's a 15-minute track, and after 14 minutes of soothing synths, oh, there's metal scraping now. <laughs> there's metal scratching and a little bit of creepy wind. It's mm-hmm. like, don't do that to me, man. <laughs> don't ruin your, four, your 13 minutes of good music because you, you feel compelled to be connected to, to horror in some way. Mm-hmm. So I just really liked, I, this is a very pleasant listen. Yeah. Even tracks that are really long, like some of them get up to 16 minutes, you know, 11, yeah. 13 very pleasant. Yeah, and this is not like this is adjacent to dark ambient because it's not like cheerful ambient. This is not like Mm-mm. corporate workspace, uh, you know, weight room kind of music because it, I mean one of their tags is melancholic. You know, and the title of the group comes from they they base their name on the Doug Richmond's book originally released in 1985, How to Disappear Completely and Never Be Found. Hmm. A how-to book. On starting a new identity, establishing credit, finding work. It's uh yeah, how to, it's actually a, a how-to guide. <laughs> so yeah, that's not super cheerful. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, because all the individual elements, like you said, are also completely disappearing mm-hmm. into the music to become its own thing. Uh, another tag they have that I thought was interesting because I would not, I would not have thought of it, but one thing is completely makes sense, which is uh, shoegaze is one of their tags, which I thought was interesting because shoegaze is uh late eighties, early nineties subgenre of like indie rock. Yeah. But the whole point of, of shoegaze is that you just have this lush arrangement of like, boy, what happens if we just play 50 distorted, not distorted, but rather like delayed phased guitars kind of just over each other mm. for three minutes. Like, what does that sound like if we just really take advantage of new multi-track recording technologies and just make something that is just, a borderline like ethereal drone but with rock sensibilities and from guitars hmm. uh i don't know do you listen to much of that i ne- i tried to get into it and I, it just didn't really it didn't really click that's with fair me. yeah i guess the like canonical album everybody recommends is loveless by my bloody valentine that's probably the most accessible one too yeah i mean it was a while ago when i tried i haven't i, I my, my sensibilities have probably evolved since then you've matured as a listener <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like Dinosaur Jr., Jesus and Mary Chain. Mm-hmm. Any of these are all pretty good. Spaceman 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a big shoegaze phase. I still do. It's, it's nice if you want something that is a little has a little more going on, mm-hmm. but it still has some of those ethereal elements and just this rich layering of, of all these ideas. It's also very emotional. It tends to be pretty pretty sad music. Yeah, there is this sense of melancholy in it. I mean, the art and the, the group's name. Oh, by the way, uh, the How to Disappear Completely is also a Radiohead song from mm. Kid A. So when you search for this, That's right. yeah, make sure you specify, you know, Polish or Bandcamp so you don't pull up the kid. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to find <laughs> information about this group because of that uh, to a degree. Um, one other thing I, I want to mention is that um, both this group and uh, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse have a couple of YouTube videos. The album is entirely on YouTube and it has 1.2 million hits. And there's a couple of Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse videos that have over a million hits. So I think it's again, part of this whole, and I don't know if, if the actual artists are uploading this or if this is, you know, someone who re uploaded their own work. I think it was someone else. Cause it's someone called in the woods on YouTube. So yeah, it's just, again, how artists are being formed by their, their environment. And so like these groups are just releasing a ton of work and putting it out there and seeing what sticks, mm-hmm. but they have their own little YouTube communities because like the comments on this one are pretty interesting people are clearly really reacting to it really emotionally linking to it 
That's interesting. And the constant uploading just as a small diversion is probably also related to the algorithm because at least YouTube recommendations Mm -hmm. really love regularity and a schedule. Yeah. And I know some people, I watch their video essays like Adam Neely or philosophy tube and some others, you know, they complain that like, if you don't come out with something regularly, they're much less likely to recommend you. So you have to be like, careful how you pick your schedule. Cause like Adam Neely kind of got into like, I'll just put out a video every Monday cause I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, if he misses that Monday, the recommendations, like if it comes out Tuesday, cause it took a little longer to edit or I had to sneak in one last interview or had a, a last minute idea. It doesn't do as well as if you follow the schedule. So you're kind of like indirectly adherence. That's why like the big ones who have, you know, tens of millions of followers, they put out stuff all the time because the algorithm will just latch on to it. Yep. Oh boy. Yay. Cool hellscape. (laughs) Uh, And speaking of hellscapes, why don't we go into our third album? That's exactly what I was going (laughs) to (laughs) say. Cosmo Bushir by Anailia, which we also have talked about as Flowers for Body Snatchers. That was from Metastasis, about a minute 30 in. This is the least drone of the uh, mm-hmm. albums we have listened to. <laughs> We're shedding our drone with every segment. Yeah. A little more structure. Very. A little more theming. Yeah, very, yeah, a lot more theming. So this was actually did not pop up on YouTube. This was a band camp thing because uh, I bought work from flowers from body snatchers. And he's like, he, you can send out messages to people who buy your stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, Hey, I my album's on sale. And it's like, Oh, this looks neat. And uh, yeah. Do you want to explain a little more about it, Burke? Yeah, sure. So this is like a lot of his other stuff. It's a project by Duncan Ritchie is the producer, artist, composer, et cetera. Like you said, he did Flowers for Body Snatcher, which we previously listened to, to their album Solaris. And I think they're at least on Haster. I don't think they were on Yig, but I believe they're also on the, the Haster mm-hmm. Cryo Chamber collaboration album. I could be wrong about that. And then he also has another project listed on his band camp, Rosenshul, which I listened to. It's like slightly, it's very similar to Flowers, but slightly less sci-fi, at least obviously sci-fi themed. Mm-hmm. But it was hard to get into it because there's a lot of it. The featured album, it's, uh, it's like 10 tracks and they're all... 10 minutes or more, something <laughs> up to 30 minutes. Yeah. It's just a lot of music, but I liked it. And I think, you know, he definitely has uh, a style. I think Cosmo Bashir fits into the same style as we heard in Solaris, which is this like creepy, derelict sci-fi environment. A lot of machinery mixed against a lot of like easy biological sounds, mm-hmm. a lot of sweeping, a lot of rumbling, deep bass rumble, a lot of radio Broken transmission type stuff, a lot of beep boops. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great. Like, I like it, but it's interesting that it's a separate project when I think it feels like a lot of the other stuff that he makes. Yeah. 
it is very similar to Solaris in terms of genre. I mean, like the actual album is very different in terms of its sounds and, and the actual structure of it. But like, mm-hmm. if you heard, if you mix the two albums up, it would be hard unless you were really familiar with both to, to distinguish one from the other. Cause you have a lot of this like analog synth seventies or eighties sci-fi movie score feel to it. You know, like just the, the sweeping sounds, the beeps, uh, the, I love the metallic creaking, you know, the, mm-hmm. the shit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I'll have, you know, since you said it to beeps and beep boops are technical terms now. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> they're music theory terms. We're recording them here. Nice. Uh, and I mean, and, and occasional other things that, that seem out of place, like chimes uh, on track four, just just coming in there. And again, on track eight. You love a chime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a sucker for a chime. And then the finale sort of has this interesting, like, three part thing where it builds up and then completely cuts the silence and then builds up again. And then goes to silence. And so there's like three separate kind of sections and it builds into a lovely cacophony each time. I, I don't know. I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. You know what? That's interesting because Solaris also had an amazing last track mm-hmm. that was like kind of a big build culmination of everything that was uh, throughout the album previously. So I will say, Duncan, you can nail, you can nail an ending track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is um, an album that sort of like pulses sharpens blades and leaks radiation it is it is very much a journey through a dying spaceship and like you you i mean it's hard to think of this as anything else uh it is very thematic very focused and uh not not very drone like despite sort of the some of the elements of that mm-hmm. what do you what do you think is some of that erratic kind of drumming that we had uh throughout it like in track six um i really do and actually I'm going to play a sample of it so people can know what we're talking about because it's really interesting. So this is 45 seconds to a minute into track six. And there's just this really interesting drumming going on. And it sounds almost like if you've seen people on the street playing like paint bucket drums, mm-hmm. it sounds like they're playing it on materials that are not meant to be like resonant musical drums, but still have like a really nice timbre to them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's someone just banging on the ship or the ship banging. I guess we keep talking about the ship just to be explicit kind of about the theming of this in the liner notes. They, they say it's 2158 and the Soviet union won the space race. So Mm -hmm. now we're uh, aboard the Cosmo Bashir space tug on the outer reaches of how far humans have explored into space. We're out by Titan. And this is a signal they received on Saturn in the year 2172 et cetera, after the ship was lost, basically, mm-hmm. is, is the idea. And then it has a bunch of, yeah, like mock radio telemetry mm-hmm. stuff, um, which is always a nice little touch. 
Yeah, um, it, it's part of this whole like dark ambient tradition of like making up a movie and then make then scoring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, here's a soundtrack that doesn't or a movie that doesn't exist. And this type of genre stuff, I really like. Um, I find these types of albums very evocative. Mm-hmm. I very much enjoy listening to them, and probably much more so than any of the other dark ambient we do. Is I love these space sci-fi themed ones. I think I have a real affinity for the genre. Mm-hmm. You know, grew up watching Alien and the movie Solaris and like Event Horizon mm-hmm. <laughs> and like all these wide gamut and quality there. I acknowledge. Yeah. But just like people being lost in space. Um, I think that also transfers to being lost underwater, like the abyss oh, or yeah. something. It's kind of the same idea. It's the same, you know, you're trapped in this environment that will mercilessly obliterate you mm-hmm. if you make one wrong step and you have to figure out how to save yourself. And I think as a result, like a lot of that genre affinity and familiarity makes it very easy for my brain to kind of <laughs> craft images and scenes associated with the music. Yeah. I think in a way that is not possible for other, other dark ambient, even though maybe I might as music, like something like dark jazz or miles to midnight more, this stuff imprints a way stronger image, uh, in my main, my mind brain. <laughs> yeah, no, it is escapist in the best sense of the term. And it's not necessary. I mean, it's a horror escapist journey. Cause like, this is the things aren't, it doesn't sound like it went too well for the Cosmo Bashir. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean we can't be thrilled to go on a space journey. So yeah, this is this is a more active listening kind of album. Mm. It's it's very good. Uh, I, I quite enjoy it. I've, I've liked all of uh, Duncan Ritchie stuff that we've that we've listened to so far. Yeah, I really liked the little bit of the Rosenshaw that I, I listened to. Mm-hmm. It'd be good to dig into it. It was just long. I. Yeah, I didn't have the time to really yeah. uh, dedicate to it. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to dive into some of his other work later for sure. Um, some of his non-sci-fi themed stuff because uh, I'm very <laughs> curious about that. Thanks for listening to this episode. Our next episode is going to be focused on new Mallsoft. People keep making Mallsoft and uh, we're going to explore it. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah I think it's going to be fun because like Mallsoft is my favorite of the subgenres. I've said many times, mm-hmm. but when we covered it, we only really covered it in detail once. Yeah. Maybe twice, depending on definition. And it was older classic albums because we were like, this is a genre we love. Mm-hmm. Here's some of the foundational albums. And I'm really excited to like, really dig into what people are doing now. You can't keep up with every genre yeah. equally. So I use this podcast as an excuse to refocus <laughs> myself on things of interest. Exactly. One thing we, we've sort of noted on this podcast is that uh, Vaporwave has actually kind of matured as a genre. Like people are experimenting and building upon the foundations that were laid, you know, like 10 mm-hmm. years ago and have created like more original compositions or more interesting thing or well, different things in, in terms of techniques with plunderphonics and uh, whatnot. I'm really excited to see what experimentation has been done in the genre. So look forward to that uh, in two weeks after this, after you listen to this episode. And then of course, uh, as I mentioned, we are working on our lo-fi 
hip hop Patreon episode. Uh, so please, uh, if you haven't already, consider joining our Patreon uh, so you can hear these bonus episodes and also hang out on our Discord and ask us questions. And I post random links on a fairly regular basis. Uh, and of course, uh, for those of you who are already patrons, thank you so much. Uh, it means the world to us. And yeah, if you if you have other questions about Nightclerk Radio, you just want to say hi. I am at Ross Payton on Twitter. Burke is at Burke McBurkinson. And of course, our main Twitter is at Nightclerk Radio. Uh, we do have a website, of course, nightclerkradio.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. If you haven't already, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, or whatever uh, else is out there. And tell your friends, spread the word. It helps quite a bit. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you.